The most innovative electric car announced in 2021 was not a Tesla, but a Ford. The new Ford F-150 Lightning, a fully electric version of the best-selling vehicle in America for the past 30 years, is the culmination of some seriously thorough user research and fresh thinking on a familiar product. Seriously, go Google this thing. It can power your house. We were curious to learn how design and innovation are playing a role in the massive transformation that's underway at Ford right now. So we're excited to bring Sandy Fershi, lab director at D4 Detroit, onto the show. In the course of our conversation, Sandy talks about her role at D4, and we also discuss the challenges of doing research and development in a large organization, how her team shares their design and innovation tools with the whole company, and how they approach design at the intersection of hardware and software. So buckle up and get ready for a fun interview with Sandy Fershi. As a Design Better listener, we think you'll enjoy Tools and Weapons. It's a podcast hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Brad's conversations with leaders at the intersection of the promise and perils of the digital age touch on some fascinating topics, like the new AI economy and how AI is becoming a tool in the battle against hunger. On a recent episode, Brad was taken to Venice, Italy, where he connected with Eve Ubelmanhoff of Iconum. It's a startup that specializes in 3D digitization of endangered cultural heritage sites. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone capture photography and some powerful AI tools to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. How cool is that? On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, you should subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever finer podcasts are served. Sandy Fershi, welcome to the Design Better podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Really honored to be here. We're so glad to have you. And you are at the D Ford Lab at Ford, the company here in the U.S. that makes a lot of cars. Tell us a little bit about what the Ford Lab does, because I'm sure folks would be curious. Sure. D Ford is Ford's human-centered design organization. And our job is really to partner with the business and we work you know, as a human-centered design organization to uncover insights and identify and bring to life Ford's best new opportunities for the future. And that's inclusive of products and services, both physical and digital. So talk a little bit about that kind of physical, digital point you just spoke about, because I think you know a big chunk of our audience is probably primarily working on digital products. So you're at this unique intersection between the two. So maybe talk about how that plays out in the work that you do. It's quite interesting because in the automotive field, the physical product is the vehicle, and that's coming off the assembly line. And the time frame for which it takes to produce that is quite long in comparison to software terms. I grew up in the software world, (laughs) digital web, and to work and plan for both a physical product that could be relevant in three to five years time in the future as well as creating scalable software solutions 
that can be updated over time. They're just on very different cadences. (laughs) And so we need to orchestrate our work really carefully to be able to inform both of those cycles. So it's a pretty interesting challenge. Sandy, if we were to visit the D Ford lab with you, and it wasn't a pandemic and we could be together and look (laughs) at everything, what would we see? Would we see physical objects, a lot of design that's happening with physical objects? Would we see a lot of like digital design stuff that maybe is presented on the walls? Or what's the design process look like at the D Ford lab? So you would see both of those things when you walked in the lab. So First and foremost, you'd see probably teams in action who are doing some thinking. They are identifying the questions to be answered, the big challenges to be solved, and doing research and synthesis and trying to break through you know, those initial sketches, first ideas. And then you would see some of the prototypes that would be inclusive, both of physical and digital. And it would span a whole horizon of low fidelity, I'd say to medium fidelity. Because of course, in the vehicle world, automotive world, a high fidelity prototype is really like the actual vehicle. But we often will use to simulate our products of the future, we'll create a physical object (laughs) that's based on aluminum frames, We'll use foam core, cardboard, wood, plywood to create structures that could simulate sizing and entry points or storage areas. And then in addition to that, you would see both potentially inside that physical prototype, some of our more digital interfaces wired in. And of course, beyond that too, you know, we'd be running or simulating things that might look more like app development as you know it today. So you'd see a whole range of different prototyping solutions in action, going from, again, the very earliest sketch phase on paper, all the way to potentially working prototypes to demonstrate an MVP. This is a different strategy than Ford has pursued in the past in, in terms of like, you know, digital experience in, in the automobile. I remember a lot of, you know, Microsoft partnership in the past where Microsoft would build software and that, that would be kind of like a central piece of the digital console. Can you talk to us about this strategic shift and, and why bringing it in-house was a good idea and what are the opportunities that opens up for Ford? I guess I should be clear about what it means to bring it in-house. As the lab, we're trying to identify the new opportunities. So we're not going to be executing those codes. So there may be other partnerships by which we actually execute. So I'll kind of leave that to the side. Our job is really, we have to create digital prototyping platforms to demonstrate the future of the interactions, whether their voice, their gesture, touch, any number of ways in which people could be interacting in their vehicles, around their vehicles, or just in their lives with other connected services like connected home, et cetera. So we're a little bit more, I'd say, uh, working to inform from the future versus working to the production code that's going to be executed where, uh, again, various partnerships could be used. Sandy, so Jim Hackett, who was up till recently the CEO of Ford, or maybe he's still in the process of retiring, he, he really put design front and center from his work at Steelcase. He was a big believer in design. What were some of the things that he Im- implemented during his tenure at Ford that really made human-centered design a, a priority there? Yeah, that's a great question. I had the great privilege of working with him very closely over the last few years. 
really career-defining moments and incredibly exciting. I never imagined I'd work with a CEO who had such a deep knowledge and understanding and working practice in what human-centered design is and how it can partner with a business. So over the course of my time at Ford, he was our ultimate champion, as in what types of experiments could we run (laughs) to formalize this practice, and then start to scale it. So I was part of a cross-enterprise team to really answer that question, put our critical thinking and design thinking skills to the test as far as what is human-centered design at Ford and how would we scale that? Because there's many different ways to organize, but you know what is the right way for Ford to do that given where they are at this moment in their transformation, as well as I mentioned you know, both this physical, digital convergence and different cycles of creation and production. And he championed that process along with our now CEO, Jim Farley. So that was a really incredible and thoughtful way to really define what D Ford was. It became D Ford and and start to scale it across across the enterprise. In addition to that, I, you know, Jim Hackett really he brought some of the critical thinking practices too, because there's sort of developing a point of view, and then there's implementing it. And in our company at Ford, I think we're really good at implementing, but oftentimes we found ourselves revisiting decisions. And I'm talking, of course, in its broader scale. But when you take the time, of course, up front to do your research, develop that point of view, create a strong point of view, and then once you have that established, just work to execute it. And then it's less about kind of going back and checking those decisions again and maybe finding yourself in a swirl. He really championed, I think, bringing that practice very holistically across the enterprise, as well as some pretty massive cultural shifts. It's a 117-year-old company. We have incredible scale bringing us into this new age of what it means to be digital what it means to collaborate and work in, I'd say, just more agile ways broadly across the organization. He spearheaded a number of initiatives, I think, to really jumpstart those things at Ford that's had an incredibly positive impact. Let's stick into that a little bit more because there is this big shift in expectations of the car experience, especially as we start to get closer to fully automated driving. That's going to change our relationship to cars in a big way. And just, you know, how the digital experience is always present in our life, even when we're on the go and in a car. So the research that you and your team are doing, do you see like the trends that are shifting or your perception of what it means to be in a car? Not necessarily a driver, but to be in a car. We spend a tremendous amount of time with people. So that means living with them, observing them in a lot of different contexts, And when I think about different contexts too, there's, I guess, people and how they live, work, and play, as well as cities and other environments. So we're looking to observe, understand across those contexts. And given, you know, there's lots of data that could potentially be tapped into in the future, there is greater automation, everything's connected all of those things combined with, well, how do you move people? How do you move goods? That is essentially the crux of our work <laughs> is and where we're focusing when all of those things collide and what types of new products and services we can offer. 
Unfortunately, I can't talk a lot about what those things are emerging, but that is the future of mobility and what's next. Through our research and understanding and our human-centered design practices, we're testing, I'd say, also through future scenarios because designing for the future can be a pretty challenging business because you do have to imagine what's next. You have to take some leaps. You need to build an experiment We use futuring scenarios to test our thinking. And then there's a lot of rigor to get to what are the best ideas for the future, because we can't do a hundred of them necessarily, but we could do 10 and we could do those really, really well. Innovation's not, it's not an easy game. I think people forget about the rigor that goes into that when, you know, what to do with those insights, when you uncover them and really pushing the thinking collaboratively to get to the best possible ideas. And doing that in a way that makes sense for Ford and for any business, you know, to do that. It's like, what makes sense for this brand, this company, this moment to invest in and pursue so that there's an incredible outcome? Because of course, all of this is to create something that's really impactful and meaningful, valuable to people, to our world, and of course, to the business. What is a futuring scenario? It's a formalized process, and we have our chief futurist at Ford, Cheryl Connolly, who's been with the company many years and works in various cycles to develop our futuring scenarios. It is really meant to help companies imagine and bring to light what might be blind spots to any of us. You know, 10 years ago, it was like the rise of the East and China and India. When we look back at those scenarios, it's like, well, a lot of those things came true, They may not have come true in exactly how a futuring scenario was portrayed, but when you kind of put some stakes in the ground around the futuring scenarios, you test the thinking and say, well, if this were the case, and again, in the past, there was some around like pandemics and what does that mean? And you can test your thinking to be like, well, does this solution hold up or is it positively of value in two of these scenarios, four of these scenarios. So we're really looking, again, just to test our thinking, push our designs, and get us to the best places so that they are future-proof to the best of our ability. You mentioned the pandemic, and I'm curious how, you know, given that the pandemic has actually, at least in some cases, pushed people back into cars, and we have colleagues in New York who like bought their first car for the first time. How has that kind of influenced the way you, you run these types of scenarios? Well, I think more than anything, it cements the need to use them (laughs) because you can't always predict. And I mean, as far as the pandemic goes, I think it's as we look at the next, you know, products and services that we're trying to create, obviously that's at the forefront of our minds at the moment. And I think it also stretches our imagination of where else do we need to push? Where else do we need to go? What things might stick, you know, given what's happened with the pandemic and what things might continue to shift and change. So when we think about transportation as a service, obviously, you know, the pandemic's had a huge impact on that. And our personal ownership has actually increased (laughs) and our sales have gone up. So it's interesting, but I still think we have to hold the space for, many different types of products and services that can span those scenarios. So if nothing else, I feel like it just continues to push our thinking to imagine solutions that are going to be fit in a world where 
diverse conditions exist. I used to run an R&D team, and one of the problems that I confronted, the challenges of R&D, is that there's a lot of creative exploration. And then that part actually is the fun and it kind of comes easy part. But then there's the brute reality of let's get this commercialized. Let's you know bring this into some sort of operationalized system and get the mainline organization to buy into that produce that, pick that up. How are you thinking about that? Or is that something that you have to think about at all? I'm glad you brought that up because it's really important. I feel like the ideas part, sometimes I'm not going to say it's easy because again, I do think there's an incredible rigor to get to the best ideas and really iterate and build upon them with cross-functional teams that bring those unique lenses every step of the way to push the thinking. All of that is incredibly important. And you have to take action to realize it. And so making decisions about which ideas to pursue is, I think, an art and science in and of itself. (laughs) And of course, our job is to partner with the business because based on the strategies that we're trying to achieve, which bets are we going to make for the future? And by doing the work that we do, we're really building confidence to what are those best ideas and which ones can realize that strategy and and not only realize it, but realize it now potentially. And what does that look like five years from now and potentially even 10 years from now? So a lot of our work, we also try to stage what that could look like across different time horizons. But we are actually involved in what it takes to realize it, as in if we just come up with ideas and they sit there. That's not helpful. (laughs) Seems actually quite wasteful. It's actually one of the reasons I moved from consulting back into being in a company because I really wanted to be part of realizing it and making those tough calls and seeing something through. But you have to fund it. And that requires a lot of, again, integration with the business, conversations, bets, trade-offs, and then building it iterating on the ideas, testing it, and you just keep going until you can get to the best possible you know, solution that's viable and, and can be released into the market. And again, as I mentioned, the product life cycles for vehicles are quite long. So those conversations have to happen years in advance of when a product might actually go out and be available for a person to use or purchase or lease or whatever it might be. And so it can be quite daunting, I think, in this day and age when things are moving so quickly of like, which direction do we take? Which decision is going to be the best? And I feel like that's the value of our lab, again, to help build that confidence of like, well, these are the things that are going to be most valuable to people. And we think we have a way in which we can implement that, that does have value for the business. And it is like something technically feasible that you can deliver out into the world based on technologies that are available. So it's bringing it all together. (laughs) And that's the exciting challenge of working at a huge enterprise too, because cracking the code and collaborating across so many different types of teams to really break through on that and get the best ideas out into the market. That's the blood, sweat, and tears of, of the work. There's another R&D model that I wanted to point out too, which is, so you've got in-house R&D that's happening, but also investing in other companies who are doing their own R&D, like Rivian, for example. Ford made a half a billion dollar investment in Rivian, who is also exploring 
probably not to the degree that you are. They're trying to commercialize and create a, a car that is participating in the future, but maybe it sounds like what you and your team are doing, you're, you're looking even further to the horizon. But is that also part of the way that your team operates, that if Ford is partnering or investing in other organizations that are looking at the future, do you also work with them, talk with them, share ideas? Well, what I would say is that we try to talk to a lot of different type of people to get inspired. <laughs> so I wouldn't limit it to you know, any specific type. I mean, our team in particular looks for inspiration anywhere, analogous research, adjacent industries, and we are hungry to learn and, and to share too, you know, what are the challenges? How are other companies breaking through, again, who used to make money simply from their physical product that they sold and now realize that they can sell a solution that provides a lot more value in their lives? So for example, we have a large commercial business at Ford providing trucks, vans, et cetera, to companies, builders, plumbers, et cetera. And they have a fleet of vehicles, but in the future of work, it's not just about moving that person around and carrying their tools. I mean, that's a big piece of it and we can't forget that and we have to do that really well, but it's how do we, you know, enable those businesses to thrive and that means, you know, how do they work most efficiently? What else do they need to be connected to? And when we think about the vehicles that they're using, I mean, those vehicles always need to be running. <laughs> they need to keep their belongings safe in their vehicles. It's their livelihood. Highly modified, and they have many tools worth thousands of dollars. You can watch a tutorial of how to break into a van in like two, two minutes. It's crazy. But, you know, in a world where, you know, one might jump to well, like make it more difficult to physically break in, you know, there are other sensors and things we can tap into to keep things safe for people. And so we're looking at creating a solution set that's more digitally connected and is smarter, essentially, and can help people and help businesses. Sandy, the, the work that you do sounds pretty exciting. I'm guessing, you know, there's at least a chunk of our audience that would be curious about the kind of skills that you need. And in the beginning of my career, I worked on physical products. And I think a lot of the skill set around design thinking sort of translates very much between physical and digital. But for folks working on, on your team or similar teams, what are some of the skills that they need to come in with? We have a pretty diverse mix of folks. We have a variety, I'd say, of different crafts we've identified. It might be their description, their role description, but I often find, of course, people don't fit so neatly into boxes, but I could speak a little bit just generally about what that looks like. We do have interaction designers, and those interaction designers may have a variety of set of experiences crossing physical and digital and service design as well as product designers who have more background, I'd say, in physical or the combination of physical digital. We have design researchers. We have design prototyping team, which has technical knowledge, you know, engineering from a mechanical hardware and software. We have design strategy, who's really helping us to connect with the rest of the business and ensuring that we're connecting on the right priorities 
And we have communication design as well, because we need to be able to effectively tell the stories of our insights and what's important to people, as well as being able to effectively communicate an idea because we might actually come up with a new product service or solution. And that requires some good storytelling so that people can understand what it's all about. And is that about what we want to make? Do we want to invest in that? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When we spoke with Seth Godin on Design Better, he said something very interesting. Everyone's got a noise in their head. You, me, your boss, everyone. That noise in our head is self-doubt, confusion, fear, anxiety, all of that. It's part of the human experience, and it can hold us back. Therapy is one of the best ways to work through it all, to quiet the unproductive noise and develop positive mental health. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and to work with your schedule. BetterHelp can help you get the support that you need. Visit betterhelp.com slash designbetter today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash designbetter. Support for Design Better comes from our friends at CrashPlan. Visit crashplan.com slash designbetter for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. From my daughter's first birthday to my son's first soccer game, if you're like me, you have thousands of precious family photos that only exist in digital form. That's why I've been using CrashPlan for a decade and a half now to back up all my important files. CrashPlan works efficiently in the background while you work, encrypting and sending all your new or changed files up to their secure cloud server every 15 minutes. And they make it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can also be your ultimate rewind button. Businesses of all sizes benefit from CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities, buy as many user licenses as you need, and easily manage them all under one account. Go to CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter, all one word, for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Support for Design Better comes from Uplift Desk creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. It's been estimated that the average person will spend one-third of their life at work. Sobering, huh? That's roughly 90,000 hours at work over your lifetime. Imagine what happens to your body if you're working with bad posture and poor circulation. It can be devastating on your health. That's why Eli and I love Uplift Desk and their ergonomic desks and chairs. Uplift Desk makes solid, well-constructed standing desks that you can customize to match your workspace. And they have a wide variety of incredibly ergonomic chairs. My personal favorite is the Human Scale Freedom Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. For professionals like us, investing in the right tools, especially our desk and chair, is essential. You're going to get free shipping, free returns with free return shipping, and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Give it a try. Go to upliftdesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5 for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. One other thing that we've read that your organization helps forward with is, so it's not only do you do this 
R&D work, but you help sort of facilitate innovation across the company and, and maybe teach some of these methodologies. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So part of our strategy was not only to create a world-class organization of human-centered designers, it's also to unleash that, I guess, across the organization. And this has to do with expanding the ways in which we work. So we want to make design thinking and some of the human-centered design methods and tools available and accessible to anyone at the company who is interested in learning, practicing, and applying that. Because I think everyone can benefit from bringing that human-centered mindset to anything one is doing you know, in their work whether it's directly interfacing with our external customers or potentially employee experience or anything that's happening at the company. And also just, you know, working in really iterative, agile ways of making their ideas tangible and bringing them to life and testing them. And then of course, making decisions around which ones are best. Part of our strategy is to bring that thinking, that practice across the whole enterprise. And it's really taken hold in a variety of ways So for example, our people team, human resources, a number of efforts that they've done over the years, they've really adopted it and they're practicing it in a variety of ways. We helped with a maternity leave project that really spearheaded a whole slew of rethinking just general employee leave resulted in a very, I'd say, employee-centered parental leave policy And they also created a return to work playbook following the pandemic. We do have our more essential workforce, of course, the people who are in manufacturing back at the factories, but they weren't at work for a a number of months when everyone was in various lockdown modes. But in going back to work, we really wanted to ensure everyone was safe and protected. And so they created a return to work playbook and They made that open source and shared it with the world. And a lot of that was influence inspired, I think, by just general ways of working and being generous to others of how you can build on each other's ideas and make for us a safer world, essentially, especially when there's still, I think, a lot of unknowns, especially with the pandemic. There are indeed a few unknowns. (laughs) (laughs) More than a few. (laughs) Yeah, Sandy, it's interesting, your career trajectory. You started as a consultant with Ford. Is that right? That's right. Yep. And then you went like a year, almost two years as a consultant. And then evidently they liked you so much that you became the global head of experience design at Ford. Is that correct as well? That's correct. Yes. How did that happen? I was in New York City at the time where I had lived for about 17 years and had done some consulting work in the automotive field. And I got really excited about what was possible there because I knew they were in the midst of a massive transformation. My entire career has really been about designing what's next. And I felt like, wow, I could really, <laughs> I could really help out here and really put to work everything I've learned over the years and really enjoyed that specific automotive work. It reminded me a lot of designing for mobility, the other mobility, like the phones we carry in our pockets and what the internet enabled. And I was incredibly motivated, excited when that was evolving and focused my career there first. 
But this reminded me of a similar opportunity like this. This is about to explode. How can I help? Did some work consulting in that space. And I said, you know, this is where I want to focus and who's doing really interesting work. And Bill Ford has been incredibly visionary as part of Ford Motor Company in investing in the future in a better world. And they sponsored a number of mobility experiments. So I thought they're really sending signals out that they were invested and cared for and were trying to create what's possible in the next instantiation of mobility. And so they were going to start to create an organization and a group at that time of experienced designers. And I said, hey, I could help. (laughs) And so I joined them to help build the team, actually create the organizational design and structure for that, get a few key projects up and running that we could prioritize with a business that felt really important at that moment and get our practices up and running. So it was really the whole enchilada as far as getting something up and running. So it was me, myself, and I, and a a few other people right out of the gate and starting to build from there. And yeah, about a couple years in, I decided I'd join. Yeah, they decided they'd have me. I would join full-time. I was traveling back and forth between Detroit and New York and took the plunge, moved myself and my family And it's never been a dull moment. It's been quite an incredible journey to really invent what's next at Ford. And again, for me, it's the combination of, first of all, being able to create and run a creative team, a design team, and all that that takes, as well as helping to transform a larger enterprise and how they work and all that's possible with that. And... (laughs) integrating with the business to work on the right priorities and creating the best possible products and services. It's a lot of things. And I love big challenges. So I have really enjoyed all aspects of these different parts or pieces of the challenge. You have a BA in anthropology. And you know one of the design practices we often use is ethnography, which I believe came out of anthropological field, but maybe you could you talk about that or other things from your anthropology degree that influence the way you work. I loved my studies within anthropology, and I did focus specifically more in cultural anthropology where ethnography was birthed. I love observing. I love making sense of things. I'm incredibly curious. <laughs> and studying that as an undergrad I was really curious, like, how do I apply this? Because it seemed like at the time, if I was going to continue in my studies of anthropology, that academia was the pathway. And I wasn't sure I wanted to be in academia solely. I was really curious about how that could be applied more broadly in the world. And in addition to that, at the same time, the web was starting to be birthed and evolve. And I was doing a lot of experimentation with digital technologies and creating websites just for fun. I was, interestingly, someone who just hung out in the computer lab after I was writing my papers and making web pages for the fun of it. I had no idea how these worlds would collide and what it would mean for my career moving forward, but it was a a pretty happy 
coincidence that those things did come together because my first job was in web design. And I realized very suddenly that understanding people, bringing those observational skill sets to the table, developing deep understanding, developing insights, and have that inform the work was incredibly powerful. So happy accidents that came together and was really able to kind of bring those passions to life in quite an incredible way that I never could have imagined. Sandy, what are you reading these days or listening to that's inspiring you or giving you a new perspective on the world? I'm revisiting a lot of things right now. It's been such a hard year. (laughs) So, because I'm usually an avid fiction reader, but I would say I'm revisiting a lot of works with Brene Brown and Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering. Don't know if you've ever read it. Highly recommend it. I have the book in my house. I've yet to get through it yet. You know, as far as running a team and making the best use of our time and how we gather and what meetings are important and what meetings aren't, just how to make the best use of our time together. I've been revisiting chapters there for inspiration, Keep Me on My Toes. All of Austin Kleon's books, I kind of have them like dispersed around my house. (laughs) So I just pick them up for little bits of inspiration. You know, I do listen to a lot of podcasts too, because that keeps me going. And I used to listen to them when I was commuting to and from work. And of course, in New York City, that was walking. Here, it's driving in, in the Detroit area. But now that there's no more commuting, it's around the house doing chores and at odd times. But I listen to this podcast. I love it. And Design Matters. But yeah, and I I love Hidden Brain too. It's like really like all the social sciences kind of coming together and really sparks my curiosity and helps me make connections in ways that, again, I I couldn't expect. Well, Sandy Frischi, thanks for being on the show. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on. 